Never forget, these are words from Psalm 78, a psalm about passing on the faith to the next generation, to our children, to our children's children, and to children not yet born. And I appreciate the chorus giving us the opportunity to reflect on this mission that we have to pass on the faith to the next generation. But not only to to pass on the faith, but even we're given the space this morning to think back in our own histories, to think about the faith that was handed to us, handed down to us. Do you see the faces of those who have handed down the faith? For some of us, we have have legacies, faith legacies that go way back for generations. For some of us in this room, we're starting new legacies of faith. But whatever our past is, there are many in this church who have made it their mission. Even those who have no children are pouring themselves out into the lives of the next generation. And they realize the importance of this task. This is a mission that's really going to come out in our sermon passage this morning from Paul's second letter to Timothy. If you want to turn to 2 Timothy, we'll be in chapter 1 here in a moment. We're going to start a new series this summer on 2 Timothy called Fight the Good Fight. And you'll see here in a moment why we're going to use that title. It's an incredible letter. It's very rich. If you've never read it, or if you haven't read it lately, I would encourage you to read it as, let's read it as a church. It takes about 12 minutes to read. And I wonder... I wonder what would happen if we dedicated ourselves to reading 2 Timothy as a church every day this summer. What would God plan into our hearts? What would God move in our minds and in our memories if we read this and put these scriptures into our minds? It's a very rich text. It's a very rich and relevant text for the mission we have here at Brentwood Oaks. But as I read these opening lines of 2 Timothy, I I would encourage us to think not only of the content, but also of the tone that Paul uses to young Timothy. And maybe even beyond that, to think of the theme of memory. So let's hear these words from 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, in the home builders class, which is a class for young families with fifth grade children and below and, and young couples, 
they launched a series this morning called Crosswords. And essentially, these are reflections on Jesus' last words on the cross. And there are several statements, several phrases that are worth pondering as Jesus died on the cross. So this, this series launched a Facebook conversation within the young families and young couples this week. And, and the question was, what would be your last words? Or what will be your last words? Have you thought about that? Well, someone in the group wrote something pretty humorous. said, I want my last words to be, watch this. Have you thought about that? Maybe it's a little heavy to think about on a Sunday morning, and yet, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and as people who recognize the brevity of life, that life is but a vapor, I think it's worth thinking about. Dallas Willard, a wonderful Christian writer, he died a few years ago, and this is the story a biographer wrote about his last words. At 4.30 a.m., a nurse came in to turn Dallas in the bed. Her visit awakened Dallas's good friend, Gary Black, who was in the hospital room with him. Moving Dallas awakened him, too. Gary took Dallas's hand. Dallas turned to him and told him to tell his loved ones how much he was blessed by them and how much he appreciated them. Then, as Gary described, in a voice clearer than I had heard in days, Dallas leaned his head back slightly and with his eyes closed said, Thank you. Gary did not feel that Dallas was talking to him, but to another presence that Dallas seemed to sense in the room. And those were the last words of Dallas Willard. Thank you. Thank you, he said, to a very present and then finally visible to him. God. I think those two words would be words that I would love to say at the end of my race if the choice were mine, and I'll keep these words in my back pocket. But this really brings us to Paul's second letter to Timothy. It's a letter full of emotion. It's full of instruction to young Timothy, and in many ways we have Paul's last words. Traditionally, 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter. Whether that's true or not, I think it fits the, the story whenever we read the letter. Paul is in prison, but unlike his previous stints in prison, it looks as though this time he, he's not quite optimistic that he's going to be released. I would invite you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, looking at verse 6 and 7. Listen to the tone here from Paul in these words. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 7. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now this doesn't sound like a man who's about to experience freedom. But as we read the letter, there are other things going on in Paul's mind and his heart. It's not just the prison sentence. It's the fact that he's been deserted by almost everybody here at the end of his race. 
And beyond that, there's this seemingly sense of betrayal. Someone had betrayed him that has led him into this very dire situation. And so, Paul, the greatest champion of the early church in proclaiming the good news to the Gentiles, is at the end of his race. So, what is the message of his last letter? What are Paul's last words? Well, as it turns out... Paul is offering some challenge and some encouragement to young Timothy, who's facing his own dire situation, presumably back in the city of Ephesus. Things aren't going well for young Timothy either. There's a group of very popular and powerful and aggressive teachers who are leading the church in unhealthy ways, in unhealthy directions. And so Paul's given Timothy the charge to confront these leaders, confront this false teaching, Take a stand for the truth. But as we read 2 Timothy, we see that Timothy is struggling mightily with this task. Essentially, Timothy is facing a crisis of fortitude, which is why throughout the letter, Paul is calling on Timothy to not be ashamed, to stand firm, to proclaim the gospel boldly. Here in his last letter... Paul is trying to rally Timothy to courage and to boldness, something that is sorely missing in the churches there in Ephesus. And I would say, something that is sorely missing in the churches today, especially among our youth. So over the last couple of weeks, we've witnessed a couple of milestones, milestones that we celebrate here at Brentwood Oaks every year. So a couple of weeks ago, we watched the seniors receive their Bibles and receive a charge from both James and Travis. It's a milestone we celebrate year in and year out. But the other milestone happened this morning. It's on the other end of the spectrum. The little ones who are really beginning this journey of faith received their own Bibles and their own charge, so to speak, which was really a charge to their parents. And as parents of high school graduates tell us, and they've told me, and I'm starting to get my mind around this, this all happens in the blink of an eye. One day you're putting them down in their crib, and the next day they're walking across the stage. Think about our seniors who were here with us whenever they walked and got their little children's Bible back in 2003. Do you remember what life was like in 2003? Think about all the changes that we've seen in our society since 2003. Culturally, morally, socially, technologically. I mean, the iPhone was still four years away from being invented. Politically, we've seen a lot of change in the last 16 years. Some things for the good, some things for the bad. And right now, the church is facing some challenges in 2019. But let's, let's go the other way for a minute. Let's dream a little bit. What about these nursery graduates? If all goes according to schedule, they're going to graduate in 2035-ish. What's the world going to be like in 2035? 
What's the world going to be like for Austin and Leah and Haley and Thaddeus and John and Samuel and Rooney and Wyatt and Elliot whenever they reach that milestone of graduation? What's the culture going to be like? Where will the culture be on some of these hot topics we're talking about today? What hot topics are going to arrive down the road that we can't even foresee? What are some technological breakthroughs that are going to happen in the next 16 years that's going to fundamentally change the way we do life here in the West? Well, whatever's down the road, there are some things that we can be sure of that this group of nursery graduates are going to be facing some of the same things that these high school graduates are going to be facing. A world of change. A world of transition. A world of instability. A world that is hostile to the faith. And I imagine that for these nursery graduates, they're going to face their own crisis of fortitude in the year 2000. 35. Well, what is it that's going to sustain them? What is it that's going to serve as an anchor for, for these kids in the storms of life? Well, to help us answer this question, of course, we turn to 2 Timothy, but I would also turn once again to the artist Rembrandt in a painting entitled Timothy and His Grandmother. Let's look at this just for a moment. Timothy and Lois, with the sacred writings open. You know, it's interesting that in Paul's letter to Timothy, knowing that Timothy is facing a crisis of fortitude, knowing that Timothy is going to be tempted to cower down to these aggressive and popular teachers, knowing that Timothy is going to be challenged to stand firm in the gospel, it's interesting that Paul opens his letter to Timothy by reminding him of his faith, a faith that existed first in his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. So what do you see in this painting? My eyes keep getting drawn to Lois's eyes and really Lois's face. I don't know if you can notice, but Lois has her game face on. Lois isn't playing around with this passing on the faith. It's almost as if she knows, she senses that Timothy is going to be facing some challenges. So she's trying to lock those stories into his little memory. She's telling the same stories, I would imagine, that are in those children's Bibles that the children received. Stories of Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Samson, David, Daniel, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Jonah, the prophets. Stories of God's faithfulness to his promises. This is the faith that is being handed down from one generation to the next, and this is the faith that's going to sustain young Timothy whenever he faces his adversity, whenever he faces his crisis of fortitude. And this is the faith that sustains the church today. 
You know what I see in this painting? I see something very familiar. I see a picture of the church. I see a picture of the church sitting in that rocking chair. And on a personal level, I see that little small town church that raised me. I see faces, Bible class teachers, men and women who were there every time the church doors were opened after a week of being beaten down in the locker room and the school hallway and whatever else I came in, the baggage I came in with church, I found a refuge and I found a passing on of the faith from one generation to the next. But you know what I also see there? I see Brentwood Oaks. I see Gwen White who served in the nursery for 38 years introducing the story to the little ones through song and crafts. Our children were in there. I see Gary Tucker, 25 years in the nursery, devoted to passing on the faith to the next generation. You're going to have to use your imagination on this, but I see Mark Broadway, who for the last six years has been over in the youth center, pouring himself out for the middle school kids, hours and hours and hours of preparation, teaching the middle school kids the story of, of God's faithfulness. I see countless faces of Bible class teachers and summit group leaders, Camp Agape volunteers, LTC coaches, children's worship teams, and so many other adults pouring themselves out for the children. Well, this morning I want to leave us with this one phrase in thinking about here at the end of this sermon, a phrase that we've heard over the last few years, and it's the phrase, doing good better. And so I would challenge us to think, certainly as a church, but especially this morning on a very personal level, how can I do good better in investing in the next generation? and pouring myself out for that next group of believers. We have an opportunity this afternoon at 4.30 in the Family Life Center, the, the Hands and Feet Ministry. We're, we're gathering together in the FLC with the children. We're making goodies, making cards. We're going to take those cookies to shut-ins, people who have a hard time making it week in and week out, with our children. And this is one of a thousand opportunities, some opportunities that we don't even see, to be for our children what those before us were for us. Forces of stability and wisdom and service in the kingdom of God passing on the faith. So Timothy is facing a crisis of fortitude and Paul opens up his letter by reminding him of the faith that has been handed down. May we here at Brentwood Oaks continue to take that baton that was handed to us and pass that baton on to the next generation, to the future Timothys, to the future Tabithas.
to the future leaders of the church. And we will. By the grace and the power of God and His Spirit among us who makes a way for that story to be passed on to the next generation. And maybe that's the question we ask ourselves. How can we keep in step with the Spirit and what God is doing? How can we join in with what God is doing among us in passing on the faith? Well, our invitation song this morning is a familiar one to most. It's a children's song called Jesus Loves Me. It's a powerful, powerful song because it's the heart of the gospel. It is the heart of what we pass on to the children this morning. If you would like to respond to the good news of the love of God as seen most clearly through Jesus Christ our Lord, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.